tonight I'd like to talk about outcomes. So we know that we're all in the business of getting enlightened. And that begs the question, what do we think that means and what are we trying to get out of it? There's a concept that, that I first heard from Ken Wilber's work, which has to do with ascending spirituality and descending spirituality. Now, I don't really know very much what Wilbur says about this, except that I know he has this concept, so I'm going to fly with it on my own. So what would that mean? A purely ascending spirituality would be moving more and more toward transcendence until the, the ideal, the ultimate, would be to completely transcend your own humanity, trans certainly transcend your suffering and your sense of, of self and your identification. And the outcome there, the ideal outcome in the purely, purely ascending spirituality would be a kind of a saint a person who doesn't doesn't look like the rest of us anymore. I mean, maybe they even glow in the dark. A purely descending spirituality, on the other hand, now that would probably look like Mother Teresa. She's always ministering to the to the needs of people who need her. Her motto was, "Give till it hurts." And that's what she did. So we have two poles, the purely ascending, which, which results in transcendence, and the purely descending, which, which results in this radical kind of engagement in the world with other humans, really feeling their pain, making it your own. And as is so often the case with extremes, we can find some obvious flaws with both of those pictures. In the case of Mother Teresa, what, we, what, what little I know from hearing people on the radio talk about her uh, memoirs, her letters, she was basically a tortured individual. So she was doing all this good, what, what we would call karma yoga, and yet her own spiritual trip, if you will, she didn't really have it together. So you might say that an ideal would be to have a better balance, to transcend at least her own suffering while helping other people through theirs. And if we look at the other pole, the purely ascending, we can see some problems with that. For one thing, that's not a very relatable person, someone who is uh, so, so highly advanced, so transcendent that they don't feel pain anymore, they don't feel compassion or love. In some ways an inspiring vision, as is Mother Teresa, as was Mother Teresa, but in some ways not the ideal, not the ideal aesthetic. So it seems to me that the ideal would be, would be to have a balance between the two, to transcend your own suffering, or rather to, to come to terms with your humanity 
in such a way that you're fine, in such a way that you feel content, and to bring it back into the world fully, to feel the pain. And after all, why not? Because if you're okay, what do you have to lose by feeling the pain of others as well as your own pain? And the advantage there would be relatability. If you can really feel another's pain, that, that leads to a kind of compassion that is not transcendent compassion. We're talking about the kind of compassion that really leads to, it really leads to understanding between human beings. I like to think that compassion, that I have a, a kind of a formula for compassion, and that is pain plus openness equals compassion. So you have to be able to feel the pain. The purely transcendent one won't feel the pain. Luckily, we don't have to reinvent the wheel about this because this has been very thoroughly dealt with in Buddhism as well as in other cultures. For example, in Zen Buddhism, the tenth of the ten ox herding pictures the tenth of those, the final step in the most commonly accepted version of the ten pictures, is called return to the marketplace with help bestowing hands. Return to the marketplace with help bestowing hands. And you see, when you see the picture, the person in the picture doesn't look saintly. Just looks like a regular guy. fully engaged in the world, presumably feeling the pain, getting his, his or her hands dirty with the regular folks. That's the tenth one. That's the final one. If you look at the two pictures leading up to that, those are the transcendent steps. So there's no question in Zen what's thought to be the highest ideal. Yes, you can transcend, but you better come back or you have something further to do. Very clear. It's telling also that in, in the Mahayana tradition of Buddhism, the ideal is the Bodhisattva, the person who has taken a, a formal vow to postpone his or her own enlightenment until all sentient beings are free. And why did that come about in the first place? Where's, where does that come from? It comes as a reaction to Theravada Buddhism because the Arahat ideal of Theravada Buddhism was seen by the Mahayanists to be too transcendent. So the argument was, well, what good are these people? They, they lock themselves into monasteries or they live in caves. Yes, they're free. I mean, we, we congratulate them on that. But we can do better. And yet, and yet within Theravada Buddhism from day one, from the very beginning, from the earliest story we know of the Buddha's life, it's already there. 
the return to the marketplace is already there in the Buddha's life. So let's look at the story. The Buddha has just gotten enlightened. He's sitting under the Bodhi tree. And he's thinking to himself, I'm not going to teach. For one thing, nobody's going to understand this. It's very, it's very subtle, it's difficult to understand. There's no particular point in trying to convey this to anybody. And besides, I'm fine. So the Buddha is sitting there being fine, all by himself, completely transcended. And what should happen but the king of the gods comes to the Buddha and supplicates himself before the Buddha because after all, the king of the gods was the king of the gods but the Buddha was awake. So he says, the king of the gods says to the Buddha, O noble one, cast out your mind net and see what you see. So the Buddha does that and what he sees is the suffering of all sentient beings. And upon seeing the suffering of all sentient beings, the Buddha is moved to compassion. Moved to compassion. How can this be? Clearly he had completely transcended the need for com compassion. Well, he came back. He returned to the marketplace with help bestowing hands. And in fact, if the story is to believed, he really did because he spent the, the, the next 50 years of his life teaching, teaching people at every level, teaching compassion and loving kindness and sympathetic joy at the good fortune of another as well as equanimity and helping other people to awaken just as he had. And remember the Buddha always insisted that he wasn't special that anybody could do what he did. There is also within both Theravada and Mahayana, and by the way Vajrayana, the idea of the Pacheka Buddha or Prachika Buddha. The Pacheka Buddha is a self-taught Buddha that does not have access to the Buddha teaching. And when he becomes completely free, completely and in every way free, the, the Pacheka Buddha is no joke. This is a complete Buddha in every way, except for the return. The Pacheka Buddha does not feel compassion. And for that reason, um, doesn't teach, at least not in the way that the Buddha would. Now, it's not that, it's not that the Pacheka Buddha is a, is, a, is a nasty person, far from it. Probably a completely um, um, unassuming and uh, harmless person. And it could be that if you asked him or her for advice, you'd get it. But what, would, what advice would you get? I reckon the advice you would get is how to become a Pacheka Buddha. Because that's what this person knows about. And yet, from the point of view of Buddhism, in all three of the major schools, Theravada, Mahayana, and Vajrayana, 
And Pacheka Buddhi is not highly thought of, not highly regarded. It's kind of a waste. So it seems that throughout history there have been people who took the purely ascending route of spirituality and succeeded, and succeeded mightily and became free and yet did not make what according to a particular value is the final step. And I want to make this point. We're talking about values. There's no, there's no absolute here. We, don't, we can't say what the right or what the wrong way is to do this. You can, you can have values that say purely transcending is the only way to go. And if you do that, your argument is going to be bulletproof. Because anybody who argues with you simply doesn't have your point of view. They, they haven't completely transcended. What do they know? So it's a good idea for us to reflect upon what our values are. Is my value to purely transcend or is my value to take them to the Buddhist route and make uh, that movement back into the world? This movement back into the world isn't something that happens once at the end either. This is, a, this is more of a spiral. This is an iterative process. You go through your periods of transcendence and you go through your, periods, your periods of returning. This also, this kind of a, this kind of a pattern, is how I interpret this kind of a spiral pattern, is how I interpret the the five ranks of Tozan, which is a, a Zen map. So according to this map of the five ranks, the third rank is completely enlightened. The third of five. So you're already transcended at the third rank. The fourth rank is called the, the fall from grace. So during the fourth rank you realize that even though you, you're, you're, you have unhooked, because there's still this body, you're still subject to the laws of karma. And when you see this, when, when you experience this, you're humbled and you fall from grace you probably it probably results in a great deal of pain for others if not for you and this fall from grace which is the fourth rank leads to the fifth rank which is to integrate what you've seen yes there's transcendence and yes there's karma yes there's karma Karma is cause and effect. You're not getting out of this. No matter how Buddhified you get, you're not getting out of karma. So I think of this as a spiral. It's not that you go through the third rank of complete transcendence, then fall from grace of the fourth, and then get to the fifth, and then you're done. Because if you were, you'd be back at the third rank, which is indeed what happens. So the, the hubris of being completely done in the fifth rank 
puts you back in the third rank and you have to fall from grace again. So the, the rest of your life, I would say, is a spiral through the third, fourth, and fifth ranks. Another tradition that talks about this sort of thing is the one from which the, the poet Rumi came, which I, if I'm not mistaken, was a Sufi tradition. So Rumi wrote a poem, and it went something like this. I may get this a little bit wrong, but this is the gist of it. Four men go to discover an infinite garden. They climb the wall, and three of them immediately disappear, never to be heard from again. Only one returns to tell us what he found there. So I don't think it's hard to understand what the aesthetic was that Rumi was pointing to. I, I think we can see that just the way he set up the numbers. Well, three people transcended completely and disappeared and became inaccessible to the rest of us. One of them, that, that one precious individual, came back to tell us what she found there. So my value has to do with the return as well as the transcendence. In other words, you can never completely transcend because if you do, you're not done. You can never completely transcend because if you do, you're not done. You haven't yet made the return. Now for me, the return, that's the really beautiful part. For me, purely transcending, is it, that's ugly to me. That's an ugly aesthetic. And it seems to me that the, that the return is, it's such an obvious step Because once you've solved your own problem, why wouldn't you be willing to come back and feel some pain on, the be on behalf of others? When you're rich, you can afford to be generous. So to bring this home a little bit and talk in, in specifics, I want to talk about what happened on the Dharma Overground what has happened and what is happening in my view on that. The Dharma Overground is a, is a website and an online community started by my good friend Daniel Ingram. Daniel recently gave a talk uh, at Brown University that was uh, videotaped and you can see it online now. And Daniel made an interesting point when he learned that enlightenment is not generally considered uh, a realistic goal in mainstream Dharma, that was a big surprise to him. 
because, as he says, the people from whom he heard about Buddhism in the first place were talking about maps and models and talking about attainments and talking openly about this. So it was a big shock for Daniel to go to Insight Meditation Society and see that in the mainstream Dharma world, enlightenment was a dirty word or attainment was a dirty word and that people were not being open about where they thought they were and did not consider enlightenment to be a realistic goal. So as Daniel says, the people from whom he first learned this. Well, what he didn't say, the people from whom he first learned this are me. He first learned this from me and from Bill Hamilton, who is my teacher. So this is the culture that Daniel is steeped in, this culture of attainment, the culture that I was steeped in. And we were in reaction to our perception of mainstream Dharma. Our perception was that mainstream Dharma had lost the jewel, they'd lost the nugget that was Buddhism. They were doing a really beautiful job at Insight Meditation Society of, of creating a community and of training people to be really good, decent, loving, compassionate humans. That's what they do really well. And yet somehow in there, they forgot to talk about enlightenment. They talked about it in such vague terms that nobody considered it to be a realistic goal. So we were in reaction to that. So when Daniel started the Dharma Overground, he, he wrote his book, Mastering the Core Teachings of the Buddha, and he came out and it, he came out of the closet calling himself an Arahat, the Arahat Daniel Ingram, and created quite a stir, a, a much needed, a much needed reality check to remind everybody what the nugget was from Buddhism. And so the Dharma Overground was born and people began to show up. There are people who really valued this, this understanding of making progress along what, what we all came to understand was a, 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 a human development. It didn't even have to be mystical schmistical, as Shenzhen Yang would say. It didn't have to be mystical schmistical. It was human development and it was it was our birthright. Anybody can do this. And so all of us began talking on the Dharma Overground, telling everything we knew. By the way, I want to acknowledge Daniel here for being the pioneer on this, because he came out of the closet before I was ready to come out of the closet. And they say that you can, uh, you can recognize the pioneer because he's the one who has the arrows in his back. So when Daniel had, had uh, absorbed sufficient arrows in his back, I too began to participate on the, on the Dharma Overground and I admitted that yes, I too am enlightened and you can do it if you follow these simple practices that the Buddha taught. So we had a culture of pure ascending spirituality. We weren't talking much about compassion. We weren't talking much about the return because everybody else was doing a much better job of that already. Insight Meditation had this covered. Spirit Rock had this covered. The mainstream Dharma 
in the West was talking about nothing other than how to be a good person. So we didn't have to mess with that. We could go straight to the nugget, let's purely transcend, let's, let's keep going and see how enlightened we can get. The most enlightened person wins. The first, the first one to enlightenment is going to be held up and worshipped in this particular community. So on hindsight, it was perfectly predictable that another tradition, which was even more transcendent, and was nothing other than transcendence, would come in and take over. And that, that tradition was the actual freedom movement, which I, I believe is called actualism. But in any case, everybody knows it by the words actual freedom, or AF. So the AF guys showed up and they said, Buddhism? Are you kidding? They're, they're a bunch of hacks. We're talking about transcending so thoroughly that you don't even need to feel love or compassion. We're talking about becoming, uh, about self-immolating. Transcending the human condition, which by the way would be great because it every, would do everybody a favor because they would be rid of me. So I would be, as they say, happy, helpful, and harmless by completely transcending my humanity. Now there was an interesting reaction when this bomb was dropped into the middle of the, of the then thriving Dharma overground. About half the people said, yeah, tell me more. And about half the people said, yuck. What an ugly aesthetic. And those of us, and I'm in this group, those of us who thought that was an ugly aesthetic, left. And in the process, we ceded the bully pulpit to the actualists, who pretty thoroughly took over. And Daniel Ingram himself, who was the founder of the, of the website, and, and such an important pioneer in the pragmatic Dharma movement embraced actualism as his goal. Now it has taken me a couple of years, it has taken me until now to feel like I have enough information to even express an opinion about this. And so now I want to say it as clearly as I can the outcome is different depending upon your values. And I want to say clearly what my values are. And I think I've pretty well covered it. My values do not have to do with pure transcendence. They have to do with getting your own stuff together and then bringing it back all along the way and feeling compassion and feeling pain. And I think in the absence of someone to clearly state this, in the absence of someone to point out that what's really happening with actual freedom is not other than the Pacheka Buddha phenomenon that Buddhism has always known about and always addressed and never thought highly of, in the absence of someone to point that out, there's all this confusion. And there's, there's, the, there's the possibility that people will see that will see actual freedom as the only 
and the inevitable result of spiritual practice. And I'm here to say it is not. It's one possibility, it's one possible outcome, depending upon your values. Turin Greco, who is uh, one of the um, one of the new leaders in the actual freedom movement, puts this very beautifully. He says, "You get what you optimize for. You get what you optimize for. If you optimize for pure transcendence, that is that's doable. That's a realistic goal." And Turin will attest to that himself. And I will add that if you optimize for return to the marketplace, having solved your own problem, that's what you'll get. <laughs>